Welcome to Girl, Water Your Grass. We talk about all the things to better yourself, your family, your career, your dreams, your goals, and your life, and how God's dreams over us are so much bigger than our own. We are just two girlfriends who grew up in the bluegrass state of Kentucky with five brothers each and have reunited to take our dreams to the next level. Now we're inviting you to get out of your own way, girlfriend, and come on this ride because on this journey of a lifetime, we never arrive. Girl, water your grass. We are so excited to have a very special guest with us here this week. The CEO, owner, starter, founder, all the things of Taylor Made Farms. Well, I guess not anymore, but uh, my uncle, Duncan Taylor. So welcome to the podcast, Duncan. Welcome, Duncan. And also just a little bit of a preliminary introduction. MK is currently sitting at a Starbucks. So if you're listening to this and you're like, her, her sound sounds off. That is what is going on. We are living life and watering on grass <laughs> <laughs> unconventionally this week. So, yes, but welcome, Duncan. We're so excited to have you. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I uh, Two things I like talking about are work and uh, and uh, my faith in Jesus. So I think it's, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, a lot of people ask, well, how did you start TaylorMade or how did it, what was the genesis of it? Or, mm. you know, really, uh, I would say the greatest thing anybody can do uh, in their life if they choose to become a parent is to be a good one mm-hmm. and to really love your children and to teach them how to work. And to, because uh, we're made in God's image and likeness, and he's a creator, so he's a he's a worker. And, you know, I never thought anything about anything like that when I was starting out. You know, I was a Catholic. I was, uh, uh, grew up, went to Catholic school, but wasn't uh, over the top about the faith. And it was sort of, uh, I would say, for the first, I uh, started business like when I was 19 or 20. But my whole first um, started work, the way our family was, probably when I was seven or eight years old, doing some kind of job that I had a responsibility and my dad had gave me to, to, do, to do work. Mm. And um, from that responsibility, and uh, I don't know what it was, just hearing him talk and seeing what he was doing and seeing what the other people that were in his business because he took us quite a few places with them and, and working hard and making money became, um, became my God, really. It was just, you know, I was all in to try to, uh, whatever I was doing, you know, when I was a kid, if I didn't have a job with some farmer, I would be, you know, picking blackberries and selling them or do, doing something to try to make some money to, <laughs> to, uh, to save money and to, uh, 
So, you know, I, I baled hay, cut tobacco, did all kinds of farming uh, from the time I was eight until I was 19. And some of it was working around horses and riding horses and, and not, not thoroughbreds necessarily. As I got older into my teens, it was more work with thoroughbreds at the farm my dad was managing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then I was, you know, I was very blessed. My dad, he was um, somebody that provided a lot of different people opportunity in his life and would put, um, you know, he probably developed 30, 40 different guys that went on to manage um, big horse farms. And uh, <clears throat> I um, was working at Gainesway Farm, which he managed for 40 years. And I met a school teacher from Texas named Mike Shannon. And uh, Mike said he was going to start a uh, a boarding operation. He was talking to my dad because he was working for my dad too. And uh, so my dad said, Duncan, would you want to do that with him? And I said, well, yeah, I'd be great. I was going to UK at the time. And we just started really, we went and um, rented a farm. We didn't have a farm. We didn't have much money. You know, I think we <clears throat> each put up, I'd saved some money. I had about 10 grand. We, we each put that up and we started uh, just caring for people's horses. They would send them to Kentucky mm-hmm. to be bred to the Kentucky stallions. And those are called like temporary borders. Right. And when you're in that business, excuse me, you really want permanent borders because you're boarding the horse year round, not just when the horse is being bred. It's the same time that they're foaling. And it's a lot more intense work, more labor and stuff. And it's hard to make very much money out of boarding horses. So, it was two years later, we had our first uh, sales consignment. And, uh, you know, we we saw these other people that were horse agents that had been in the business quite a while. And they were making like 5% on sales and horses bringing, you know, they might they may be bringing $10,000, but they could be bringing hundred or 300000 and they get 5% of the commission. And we said, hell, you can make more selling one horse then you can boarding one for a whole year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we sort of, we knew that the uh, boarding operation was a feeder for the sales operation, but we started focusing on trying to sell horses and selling more horses and making uh, commissions out of that. So, you know, I think, Duncan, I think something that is so cool that you did that most people would never have the courage to do is you're in college, you're at UK, and you knew you loved horses from growing up around, growing up and, you know, around them, but you were willing to go all in and, and have a career that you loved instead of doing something that, you, you know, would just provide a stable income, like, oh, I'm going to go and get this job and make sure I have this same salary and be dependable, but you were willing to go all in on that whenever it was a scary thing. And people might've said, you're crazy. You're, you're quitting college and you're going all in on this. And then you had the, the intellect to know that uh, there's something you said to me a couple of years ago. And I still remember it of like, 
what you look for and you can't find your that's a hole in the market and you can create it you're called to create create that business which is what you all really essentially did right yeah we did we perfected it it was out there but we we basically looked at it and said how can you do it better and how can you be more customer friendly and you know a lot of that um i guess you'd say entrepreneurial drive i think came from 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 my dad you know sometimes we were working for his boss for an hourly wage but a lot of times we were raising tobacco or we had our own uh businesses that he was we were keeping track of the expense and the and the income and at the end of the day we got we got part of the profit we didn't get paid a day rate so it made you look at it so when i start we started tailor-made it wasn't just like a complete jump from um from uh being an hourly worker to thinking entrepreneurially it was sort of that concept had, gr had grown over time and um just the mindset of you know you have to work hard. You have to please the person you're working for. But when my dad, even when you're, we were working for Gainesway, he would always talk about what the customer wanted and, and what you had to do for the customer because they were the ones that were uh, actually paying the bills. And, um, and every entrepreneur is working for uh, either one customer or a bunch of customers all the time. So, you know, going all in, it wasn't like, you know, people can look at it today and say, man, that was going all in, but it was just like one step at a time. It's like learning to ride a, a bicycle. You know, you, you're not zipping up and down the road. Uh, the first day you get on it, you're, you're basically falling off and falling down and mm -hmm. losing money and owing money and borrowing money and, and uh, trying to figure it out uh, all while you're trying to please your customer. So it's a, um, it's a, but it's fun for me. It was like, okay, this is the challenge. I want to make money. That was what I was set on. You know, I really, and I think it's, it's a letdown for some people that hear this, but I wasn't uh, what you'd call a horse lover. My brothers, I think all liked horses more than I did, but I looked at them as a way, this is, this is the business I'm in. This is a way to make money. This is the product I'm dealing with. So I've got to take care of the horse. I've got to take good care of him. I've got to, treat him like I love him. But, uh, you know, it, I, I could also look at it and think this is the dumbest damn animal I've ever been around in my life. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I really love too, that you <laughs> highlighted there. I, I love how you talked about just that concept of like, you know, falling down and getting up and it's like, it's, it's not smooth. And I think sometimes when we're going after a dream or we're going after a goal, there's almost this idea of like, yeah, if, if it's the right thing, you know, that it'll just be easy and smooth sailing. And the reality is that the journey to success, the journey to growth, the journey to, you know, becoming who God has called you to be, the, to building that business, it's, it's challenging, you know, and there's a lot of ups and downs and ins and outs, and, and you don't know 100% how far you're going to go. It's more like when you look backwards, you connect all the dots and see, wow, look what this, this process was. But I love how you really highlighted that. Um, was there a time, Duncan, that you wanted to give up? You know, because obviously it was very challenging, but was there a time where, that you went through where mentally, emotionally, you were just like, you know what, I just want to give this whole thing up because it's so hard. No, there, there really wasn't. I'm, uh, you know, 
God gives everybody gifts and being determined and hard-headed is if that can be a gift. Uh, you know, I, MK, I MK and I don't know anything about being hard-headed. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that, that was more of the, um, the, um, my, my desire. And, you know, that's what I would say for somebody. And, and there's, there's negatives to it. You know, I look back at my life and, you know, I don't have the best, um, relationship with my daughters and I, um, you know, there's, there's things that there's trade-offs in life that you make, you know, I was very successful in business and I was moderately successful with my family. I think it could, it could have been better. You know, I think that, um, and it, there could have, when you have hindsight, it's always great. Totally. The more you can include your children in your, not just that, you know, I, I don't even like the word quality time. I think it's, I think it's BS. I think, you know, if, if you're out there working and you're making your kid work and they don't want to work, I mean, it, you know, the first time that my dad would come pick us up after school and I was in the middle of the basketball game, I was like, son of a bitch, do I have to go to the farm again? And, you know, <laughs> nobody else has to go to the farm. I got to go, to, you know, right. So it, it was building in that work ethic because you didn't, you don't start out just thinking, oh, you know, you could be, when you're a kid, you can say, oh, I want to do this. And you get, once you get tired of it, you just quit or you don't do it anymore. There's, there's not that uh, new life energy that's in a four-year-old, you know, is jumping around and things, everything's great. But the, um, you know, if, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're, you're at least for me, I'm not saying this is for everybody. Maybe some people are smart. I had to work long hours and harder and, um, than, than, than other people. I had to, you know, I, hell I was, you know, we'd go to our family reunion. I'd have a big old binder there of pedigrees and I'd be looking through and trying to grade the horses in between the golf match of, uh, where I was going to put them in the sale or where they fit. And I had and another thing. I had to have a great wife right. because when you're when you're working like that at your business, mm. you know she she is giving as as much or more than you are because she she got a lot of work to do. You got you know we had five kids, so there's there's plenty to be done. And I'm coming home late and I'm leaving early. And and when I do have time, I'm I'm trying to sneak in a game of golf. So she, she's like a was a, a blessing that mm-hmm. uh, that you know, she came from a family and she understood, uh, she had, she had, t- you know, 10 kids in her family and they were farmers. So she understood that, you know, when the time, when the time's right, you got to work hard crops don't wait on you. If, if you need, if your crops ripe and it needs to be harvested, you got to do it. You got to work hard until it gets done. And I think having a, a, a soulmate that understood where where I was coming from and had seen that modeled in her own family mm-hmm. what was as it was a, a great blessing because as people that know that if when you uh, when when from the you know I've never been divorced but from my uh, perception of people that go through that it's a very stressful hard emotional and it distracts you from right from the, the things that are truly important. And um, so I was blessed with a good wife that it, where I, that never became a, uh, 
uh, issue or she was saying, oh, you need to quit doing this. You don't need to work that hard. You don't, you know, you, you know, I didn't have that. I had somebody who supported me. So that was, uh, that was a, uh, and I also had, uh, you know, three brothers that were working with me that had the same intense interest. So I, you know, I don't know that I could have done it on my own. I, uh, I had my one brother, Frank says, well, we didn't pay much to get into the farm. When we came in, we, we just had to be an indentured servant for several years. So anyway, that, uh, yeah. So I think uh, I think a good question to ask yourself if you're discerning entrepreneurship, and, and this is something I've, we've really been talking about, Duncan, that I think it's really powerful. I've even asked Will, like, he, you know, in his um, role, he has a, a pretty high level job in his company and like what's next and what's the next step. And, uh, you know, the next step for him, I think, would be uh, just a, an executive officer at a huge company. And, and I asked him just last week. It's funny we're talking about this. It's like, what's it all for? Like, and, and I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing as for each and every individual to decide, but like, what's it all for? Is it for the status? Is it for the reward? Is it for the responsibility? And is it, and the other question to ask yourself is at what cost, right? Like, is this something that you feel called to and, and really bringing God into that decision? Like, do you want me to be an entrepreneur and go all in? Is this your path for me or am I white knuckling and, and you know, what do we say? Uh, hard knuckling and white fisting, grasping my way to something that maybe isn't your plan. And it's too much. Yeah, I think that that's that's a really good uh, segue into um, into my faith and how how that um, affected. You know, because I think that you're all's uh, podcast. Uh, what's the name of it? Girl, your grass. Grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, bloom where you're planted is sort of another way of saying that. And I think that, you know, God um, very much loves us and wants what's best for us and puts us in certain places. And uh, I grew up with a very strong, my mom was strongly faithful and taught us the faith, but she also, I think, wasn't perfect. And she would say, you know, don't wear your faith on your sleeve or don't wear your religion on your sleeve, which I don't really, might have meant one thing to her, but, but I don't agree with that. Uh, Now to, to put it out front to, to show off, to get more gain or something like that. Yeah, that's wrong. But to share, you know, why are you doing this and what, and I really, at first, why I was doing it was to make money. I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be rich. You know, that's, that, well, that was the reason. But as I got older and, and I met, uh, uh, you know, Mary Catherine's gr- granddad and grandmother and the, his, uh, Mr. Thompson was a, uh, always preached, uh, generosity and given to the church and given to, uh, and so it made me think about that more. And my, and my dad was a was a uh, an advocate of that also, but maybe not as strong. And maybe the father son relationship, I just want you know I wanted to rebel against him, so I didn't maybe not have been listening to him as close. But Mr. Thompson, he had a real uh, real effect, 
and it, it wasn't like, you know, you hear these converts that come into the church and, and it seems like they just come in all of a sudden, but God has been working in my life, you know, the whole time trying to get me as a knucklehead that thinks I know everything <laughs> doing things because I want to do them and, uh, trying to tell me what's good for me and what's bad. And he's, you know, the way I look at it now is he's, He's trying to give me joy and happiness, not pleasure. And his laws aren't pleasure centered. They're joy centered and happiness centered and long-term uh, centered. So just thinking that, you know, I, I read an encyclical by John Paul II. And I can't ever think of the name of it. I can't pronounce it anyway. But it was uh, about men at work. And he said, if you're putting the task before the person, you've got it backwards. And I'm thinking, well, I've had it backwards ever since I went into business because I was all mm -hmm. about getting stuff done. So it just made me start looking at things differently and thinking, you know, maybe God's calling me to be the uh, the shepherd of the flock. The, the flock is the workforce. And he, he he's planting me here, or that's my grass to water. And I should be looking at the people working for me as souls that are in my path that I mm -hmm. try, ought to be trying to influence uh, so they can come to know God's love as I know it. So very much like an influential leadership role is really kind of what it is. Yeah, and something, right. you know, another, just to piggyback on that, Duncan, and, and would love your feedback on that. I think that so many times at a young age, you know, in your 20s, your 30s, and 40, you're really trying to make it. Like you said, you were trying to, you have five kids and you want to, men are wired to be the provider, right? Like that's just from a primal instinct. Like that's how God made you to protect and provide. We only protect, yes. provide and procreate, right? That's what men are yeah. wired to do. And I, I think sometimes I drive Will crazy because I'm like, but, but, you know, really trying to, um, something that I've always tried to do in my life is, is to always have friends that are 20 years older than me and always think of the, the life, my life at the end and project it backwards of like, what's it all for? Why, and why are we doing this? But I think it's just natural for you to get caught up in the hustle to try to make it. And you don't even stop to think of like, Oh, what I might be missing out on or at what cost or like why I'm really doing this. And it's funny. Last week, Will was like talking to me about something with one of his employees. I'm like, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about what he does at work. It's all about like the impact you make in his life and helping him see the bigger thing. I mean, I think I literally drive my husband nuts, but I just am so passionate about like, you know, we are in the bigger cosmos of life that we are a blip on the radar and God has a plan for each of us. And he has, he's the father of details and it's what we do to build the kingdom here on earth and the purpose that we like if you, if you don't show up to work tomorrow, well, maybe not you as a CEO of your company, but you know, you, they're going to replace you. So you want to no, show up and right. do a good I mean, job, but also I'm, to realize that this is not the be all and all and, and what's the bigger purpose. And so just challenging our listeners to not, to really try to look back. I mean, it sounds morbid, but to think about what is the legacy you want to leave and how are you allowing God to build his kingdom through you and make you a conduit for his grace and the people that you encounter, because I believe you meet no one by happenstance. It's, it's purposeful. Yeah. And, and just really projecting your life backwards. How do you want that to look? And then what is it all for and at what cost? But to not hustle through that natural time when you're trying to make it, right? Like you don't have to worry about paying your bills now. So it's easy for you to have that reflection, but challenging ourselves in the time that 
we haven't made it and we do have to put food on the table mm-hmm. to have that balance. And Duncan, yeah. I would love to hear, you know, if let's say a young entrepreneur came to you, maybe he's, you know, married with a couple young children. What would you, what would be your advice to him? You know, he's getting started with this company, looking back on your life, knowing, looking at the things that, okay, you did this well, but looking back at this probably would have been better. What would, what is some advice you would give him? You know, I, as far as business advice, I would, I would, uh, time to set his goals high and work work towards them and 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 don't don't be deterred and also but you know be flexible and look for opportunities because i do believe you can start down one path in a business and you you start to learn something you say well that's not really where the real opportunity is and then you then you switch quick so that that would be one thing is just the desire and the working hard and make sure you want to do it. If, if it's, if this is what you want to do mm-hmm. and you're willing, cause it's going to take sacrifice and you're going to have to be, you're, you're going to have to be all in. But I would also say that I would say, you know, if you would have asked me when I was 25 years old, do you trust in God? I was like, yeah, I trust God. Yeah, for sure. But do I really trust him? So he's saying, treat the person and try to grow the person instead of being all about the task at every minute. Do you trust him enough to do that? Do you, are you, are you trust? Do you, and you look at his 10 commandments. Okay. You basically, um, you know, you could fudge right here where you could make a little money and you could, you, you could not be totally honest and you, your profits could go up. Do you trust him enough to not, to know that not to go down that path and to say, I'm not doing that. That's not the right Mm -hmm. thing to do. I'm going to do what God says to do. And I'm going to run my business that way and Mm -hmm. come hell or high water. I'm going to, I'm, I trust him enough that, whatever the results are, I'm going to realize that that's what he wanted for me Mm, because we can say we trust him, right? Trust God and not really when it gets down to the nitty gritty of, Mm. of what trust means is I think he's smarter than me and his laws are for the, are for my own good. And Mm. those laws aren't for his good. They're for my good. So Mm. I trust him enough to believe that. And I would say, if you don't trust him enough to believe that, you need to go to the adoration chapel and start praying that he will build up the trust in you, that that, that you, will, you will trust that, that he loves you so much. And I think all, the complete surrender uh, can freak people out because it's like, oh, does he want me to quit being a entrepreneur? And, and there was a... Uh, a uh, earthquake in Haiti, and I'm going to go down there and work for eight months or eight years because I know they need the help. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying he couldn't call somebody to do that. Right, right. That's not what. That's usually not what complete surrender is. Totally. Complete surrender is, uh, you know, look at your wedding vows. And say I'm I'm living up to those and I'm trusting those. That's that's a tough thing to make. I don't this this seems like it's not fun or 
doing business this way. It seems like these other guys that are skirting around what God would want them to do are actually doing better than me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think I should be doing what they're doing and I would have it better. Th those are the, those are the issues that you have to say, you know, he, he knows more about me than I know about myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, you know, so, and what's interesting with that. It's so funny. I think how often, you know, we say we trust God and we say, you know, okay, yeah, we want to surrender. And at the same time, a lot of times I think we think that God's going to make us do all the things we don't want to do. It's almost like we don't trust his goodness. We don't trust that he wants, yes. to, you know, and I'm not saying that he doesn't sometimes ask us to do things we don't love, but a lot of times I find that he's actually inviting us deeper into things that we, that we do enjoy, but, but there's more, um, there's more of that surrender to him, to his, his will to, to kind of how you said that process of you're standing up, you're falling down, you're failing forward, you're up and down, you know, just that process of it and trusting his goodness in the process rather than white nothing like, oh my gosh, he's going to ask me to do something I hate, you know? Okay. He might, but what, but he knows our hearts and he knows what we need at what moment. And so I think some of it, so much of it does go back to that. A lot of times we don't trust his goodness, that he actually does want good for us. It's almost like yeah. we expect him to, to make us do something that we're actually miserable all the time. You know, I, I would love to hear a little bit, if you feel open to sharing a little bit too, you know, you mentioned just kind of a little bit of a challenging relationship with, with your daughter. And I think there are a lot of parents out there and a lot of entrepreneurs who that has been a struggle with, whether because they work so much or not, you know, and MK and I have seen a lot, you know, we both obviously had five brothers and, you know, everybody has different mom wounds and father wounds. And it's just part of being human, you know, even when we had amazing parents, what would you say something that you have learned through that process with your daughter? And then maybe even, you know, cause one of the things that I, that I, I and MK and I can probably both vouch for this with, with coaching a lot of women is that no matter what age women get to, there's still a desire to have a relationship with their dad, you know, and for that to be patched up and that it really is never too late to have a relationship with them. And, you know, I'd love to hear just some of your thoughts on that. So one of the things I want before back to what we were talking before about trusting in God, the other thing that mm -hmm. I think trusting and the, and well, the first step to trusting is what, what I always miss just in my mind. It's sort of like, uh, trust. Yeah. Do you trust that your business partner won't steal from you? Well, that's one level of trust. Yeah. Right. I, I trust that. But the other one is, a is the vulnerability based trust where mm -hmm. you say, you know, I, do I trust God? Oh yeah. I trust him. But you know, am I, am I including him? And that's what I wasn't good at. I would, I would, you know, I would be trying to work it all out in my mind and <laughs> me being the thinker and me being, and never even thinking about God. And then when I went to church, I'd start thinking about God instead mm -hmm. of being, you know, the word Catholic is universal and that you can look at that. That means through the, the whole world, but it also means through the whole person that, that God is part of you and everything that you do, whether it's your, it's your sexuality, whether it's your work, whether it's your family, what, whether it's whatever, whatever you're doing, he wants to be part of it. He, he, he wants to be your, your, your best friend and your guide. And, and the way I grew up, I was very, 
compartmentalized and, and I wouldn't include him in decisions. And Leo, uh, Mary Catherine's granddad, he would t- say, well, did you talk about, did you talk about God when you met, when you were making that decision? Did you, did mm. you, and I would think, man, I never talked to God about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so th- that's, I would encourage people to do that, to, to really bring God into every part, every part of your life and, uh, try to make it, uh, not so I'm, I'm, living my faith in one part of my life, but the other part of life, he doesn't really care about that. Well, that's not true. He cares about everything. Um, so, um, so what, what were you saying? I, for, I forgot where you were wanting me to go. Um, yeah, I think just, you know, kind of sharing with, as you have recognized oh, about my daughter, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. About, about my parenting. Yeah, totally. yeah. So basically I'm not a really good, uh, most people don't think so. If you look at my Myers-Briggs, I'm close. I call it the 50 yard line on being, um, being an extrovert or an introvert introvert. Totally. So, and on thinking and, and feeling, I'm really towards the thinking, not much empathy. And so when you look at that and the, so I, I wasn't naturally, I'm a good, I will communicate more and like I'm talking a lot now. And that would be my extrovert side. So about my faith and about my work, I tend to be more extroverted around social situations. And when I'm at home, I'm sort of going into the man cave type of uh, reality. And and so, you know, my sons were around me more at work and going to the boys club and stuff. And the, um, the, my daughters weren't around that and I wasn't purposefully having a relationship with them. I was living with them, but I wasn't having a purposeful relationship and spending time asking questions. Cause that's another thing I learned from, sure. uh, the Lencioni, uh, training with, along with Myers Briggs is yeah. I need to be more of a question asker and, mm-hmm. and getting other people involved and pulling out of other people. So th- that, that stifled the relationship. So, you know, it's, um, it's, they go off to school, they go to college, the world is mm-hmm. developing what, how they see the world and what they see. And they see me as maybe, I don't know this, but my faith means a lot. I relate everything to my faith. So that's not a popular culture thing. So my oldest daughter and I, actually, I shouldn't just lump it in. I think we have a better relationship and we could talk about work. We could talk about a lot of things. My youngest daughter is 22 and she's really, um, you know, I I think she's, She's seen where I haven't been the best husband and I've, and have not, uh, shown Carol the love that I could. And I, and a lot of times, you know, just perceive me as being lazy, even like around the house, because as hard as I work at work, when I come home, she's waiting on me. And that's not popular either with, uh, with the new culture. And, you know, I, I just wasn't always the perfect husband and your kids can see your, where you're duplicitous in your faith, they, they can recognize that better than anybody else because they're living with you. 
Totally. And, you know, one of the things, and and I just kind of offered this, I guess, as a word of encouragement also, because I've seen over and over again in, in my own relationship with my dad, I've seen this with, um, uh, you know, with a lot of women I've coached is that even though there can be challenges at different moments in our relationships, you know, with our dads that, you know, maybe taking some of those skills that you've been learned about asking questions and kind of out, right. And starting to, starting to kind of, kind of pursue your daughter a little bit, you know, and pursue heart. Cause I think sometimes fathers don't realize even as adults that their daughters still want to have a relationship with them, even if it's on it, you know, we're kind of wired to have that. Um, and to desire that. And so sometimes it just takes a little bit of that pursuing and asking questions, you know, to understand where she coming from, where's, where's her heart. And another thing also, and I, I think sometimes there can be a bad rap for men that they get home from work and they go into their quote unquote man cave, but something that just to kind of, I think is important for our listeners to understand that is actually a, a neurological biological thing for men. And it's not bad. It's, it's what it does for men you know, when you guys have been out in the field all day and you guys have been working hard, well, for, for you men, like there's an aspect of where you need to really kind of rebuild that testosterone and, and get back in a, in a, um, just a good space physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and taking what they call cave time is actually necessary for men to be able to then come back out there and, and be that husband and, and be that dad and be that friend. And, and all that. And so I think sometimes there can be a, a misconception where when guys do take a little bit of, of that kind of transition time, um, that it, it can get a bad rap rather than a recognition of like, no, they just need a little bit of time here. Let them have that kind of guy time, rebuild that testosterone, breathe. Um, and, and then they can come back out and be a better version, you know, for you. It's something that again, we've really gotten into. We, we've actually recorded a few podcasts on this just in the past couple of months on how our culture today, we believe and we see and we have, you know, proof that we actually emasculate men all day long. And yeah. it's really, it's really terrible because we live in this, like in order for women to be up, the men have to be down and it's, it's terrible because we need men and men need women and women need men. You know, something we always like to ask our guests as I'm getting rained on here is, you know, a way that you can water your grass. And I think in light of this would be, do you have some advice or feedback on how you can water your grass in areas of relationships that you want to improve? Yeah. What do you think about this? Because I've often thought that this is part of the problem. And uh, and when I one of the problem that I'm talking about is the, how the women's movement has um, evolved mm-hmm. and not, not that it's all bad because there's some of it, I think that is, that is correct, but I've all often thought that it had something to do with uh, moving from an agrarian to a, a, a city more society. And when when that happens, men's work and chores diminish. Yeah. While women's, if they're raising children, stays the same. Mm-hmm. So, and then with our governments, and this is getting deep, but giving money away and printing money and giving it away for people not to work. Mm-hmm. So men, men aren't working 
as much or working less if they're buying into that that part of society if they're in that mm-hmm. but if they're having kids then either either they're not there as a father and they're totally abandoning that or if they are there they're not having to work as much because they're on whatever government sustenance they have and we haven't been equal shares in the in the home responsibility of raising the kids and uh, doing the dishes and cleaning the house and and all that so I I think part of the, the the way our culture's grown that it's that it's added to it I'm not saying it's the total reason but mm-hmm. it's a it's a um, it's it's part of the reason that the, the culture's gone the way it has. Yeah, well, and you see, there's there's so much depression now, and there's so much so many suicides and all of that. And and if you look, it's interesting because men have a higher rate of, of actually committing suicide compared to women. You know, women will think about it, but more men actually like carry it out. And and we've seen there has been a shift of you know, and there there's I think a lot of reasons for that. That's multifaceted, but like men need to have a purpose. Before sin ever existed, God gave Adam the gift of work. And I think we see work as bad, but it's actually, it's for you, the worker, right? Yeah, it it, it really is a gift. And I think, I agree, we do a disservice, you know, when boys and men are not invited into this workspace like that is so important for the development of character, for a sense of purpose and fulfillment, you know, just all these things. Actually, God made work as a gift um, to, to do so many things and you know, I think it does negatively impact, you know, those around them and in, in the culture and everything. And, and the same thing for women, I think there's just been such a shift of, of rules. There's been a shift of understanding where men thrive and where women thrive based off, off of even just the way that we are wired with our brains, the way that our hormones work, the way that our biology and neurology works, you know, men and women are different. And, and so when we treat everybody the same and act like everyone's the same, it, it really is a disservice to everybody, you know, and everybody ends up suffering, not, not in a good way of suffering. Yeah, no, I think that, I think you're dead on about the work. I think, you know, you, like I was saying, when I was growing up and, you know, I didn't, I didn't just thrive on wanting to work, but I could be playing some kind of ball game or work. And I would, I would prefer to, to do sure. that, but it's, but, you know, as you, as you get older, and and um, you really do realize that that uh, working is fun. It's challenging. It's 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 motivating. It's 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 using your mind for being a, a, you were made in the image of God. So you're you're being a creator. Totally. And when you just don't have anything to do and you're not creating and you're just depending and you're well, it's really the it's it's the giving versus getting. We're more happy giving than we are getting. And it's so contradictory to common sense and, and how we're wired. Because, you know, if somebody's getting more attention than me, I'm a little jealous. If somebody's getting more of this than me, I'm je- jealous. And, and instead of turning it around and saying, well, maybe if I like attention, maybe I ought to be giving that person more kudos so they can have attention. And I'm actually giving them what I'd like to have. And I feel good about it. Not mm-hmm. not sitting there thinking about woe is me. Why why don't I? Why aren't I the best basketball player? Why aren't I the best uh, at this or that? When you 
you know, so it, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's against our human nature. And we, that, that's work in itself, trying to be virtuous, you know, instead yeah. of driven by vice. Totally. Well, we have one last question that we always ask our guests. And that is what advice would you give to our listeners and what are you doing currently to water your grass? So what are you doing right now to water your grass and what advice would you give our listeners to water their grass this week? So, you know, I don't know how many listeners are Catholic, Christian, what faith they are, but this is from a, uh, a Roman Catholic perspective I would challenge people, if you don't know th- anything about Roman Catholicism, is to go back and read about, re- read the Bible, the Acts of the Apostles and that, but actually read about what happened after that for the next two or 300 years. And you'll see, you'll start to learn a lot about Christianity and about Roman Catholicism and also the Orthodox uh church because they were they were a big part of that and and to explore that because i think that's where if we're ever going to come together as christians we're going to have to go back to to how christ uh laid it out for the apostles and then the apostles laid it out for the next generation and that was when the what christ did was very pure and and the church's job, uh, the, the, that we, we have the succession from Peter all the way to today, is to carry that as pure as it can be through time, because that, that is really the essence of our life. So I, I would challenge people to look to, to really study that, because what, if, you, if, you're a, if you're a curious person, you're wondering, why in the hell am I here? Where did I come from? What am I doing? And when you, when you start to study it, I think you'll, you'll see something true, good, and beautiful that, that is in the, uh, that is in early Christianity that maybe you've never even thought about before. And, uh, so I would encourage, I would definitely encourage people to do that. And also just to think long-term at the ramifications of the, of God's 10 commandments and if you see somebody that's breaking them all the time, look at how their life's ending up. And if you see somebody that's sticking closer to them, see how you'd like to live their life. And I think you'll you'll find some answers that where true, uh, true happiness, you will find true happiness. We're just going to leave that right there because, Jono, we like to talk about truth, goodness, and beauty. And you literally took the words right out of our mouth. So... We're just so grateful for your time and for being here and sharing and just um, your wisdom, your wisdom that you've learned through life and imparting that on us. So thank you for being here and y'all continue to like, share, download, and we will see you next week on Girl Water Your Grass. Bye. Bye.